Can we thank the worship team this morning? Man. There isn't a video, so I just got to be like ready. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that was happening. Ooh, all right, here we go. If you break a stand at the beginning of your message, that's good luck. I don't know if you guys knew that, uh, but it's good luck. So, well, I'm excited uh, to preach this morning, excited to bring the word. Again, if you're new, I just want to say welcome again. We're excited for everyone who found their way here and, uh, you know, followed what signs you could find and you made it. And so we're glad that you're here this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Banner Church. And uh, you're joining us this morning right in the middle, middle-ish, end-ish of our sacrifice series. And, you know, it's funny, as I was preparing this message, I got to say, uh, I really had to labor for this one. And then Bridget came up during worship and she said, you know, just go for it. So I hope you guys are ready. We've done it about three hours. And uh, then you guys should all be ready to go home. No, I'm just joking. It's like 30 minutes. So don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. You'll make it. Um, but I'm excited. You know, I've, I've loved being in the sacrifice series. I've loved, you know, hearing the word. Last week, Dana preached an incredible message on sacrifice. And I was crying. Everyone was crying. And uh, it, was, it was amazing. So if you missed it, I promise you Jensen's going to put it on the website this week. And it's going to be good to go. <laughs> so it'll be good. But, you know, I've really enjoyed this series. And it's, it, I love this morning that we got to see really the heart of a missionary, a heart of missionaries. And Abraham and Abby are an incredible couple. And I, and I love being a part of a church that has so many people in it that have a heart of a missionary. And I think that really comes from the fact that Pastors Dana and Bridget have the heart of a missionary. And honestly, as our teams were coming together, as we were, you know, relaunching Banner Church, Honestly, that is one of the things that attracted my wife and I and the people that came with us to Pastors Dana and Bridget is because they have the heart of a missionary. Don't you guys feel like we're lucky to have Pastor Dana and Pastor Bridget, right? Come on. Are, yeah, that, that was like, they're, they're kind of okay with you. <laughs> Aren't we lucky this morning? There we go. Good. Where I come from, you make noise. That's how I know you're alive. And it's a little warm. So we're kind of getting that, you know, that like swampy south thing going. So we got we to gotta like move a little bit. You can get your fans out. That's okay. You can do that. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, that's about all of the old school church stuff I know. That's it. So, um, but we're going to hear this morning. And as I was praying through, I was thinking about missionaries. And missionaries just understand sacrifice. And if you ever encounter a missionary on the mission field in their element, I, I think what you see is just a person who's living sacrifice. And whenever you meet a young person who wants to be a missionary, I think you can generally tell how well they're going to do based on how much they are currently sacrificing or how much they love to sacrifice. Because if you go out onto the mission field and you want to do your thing, be about your timeline, eat the food you want to eat, hang out with the people that you're comfortable with all the time, you're just going to be miserable. But if you go to sacrifice, then you're going to fulfill your purpose, right? That's why missionaries get it. That's why having a team full of missionaries is amazing, because <laughs> they get sacrifice. And as I was praying through this message this week and thinking about our missionaries, thinking about the great missionaries in this church, I was reminded of probably one of my, um, I don't know, favorite is maybe the wrong word, but one of the more profound stories. And that's of Jim Elliott and of the team, you know, the, the Operation Alca, the missionary team to Ecuador. 
And one of, it's one of the most fascinating stories, I feel like, because it gives us an incredible perspective on sacrifice. And I want to encourage you this morning that whoever you came in here, I believe that God's going to give you a new perspective on sacrifice. So would you pray with me this morning? And let's just, let's do it. Let's do church this morning. Let's make it happen. So let's pray. God, we thank you. God, I thank you that we can come in and worship you, that we can praise you. God, I thank you for the people that you're sending through all the world from this church. God, I thank you for the leadership in this church that has established a culture of sacrifice. And God, I pray right now, would you just speak through me? May these words be your words and not mine. We give you this time in your name. Amen. Well, if you've not heard of uh, Jim Elliott, if you've not heard of this mission team, I want to give you a little bit of the story this morning because I believe it provides the perspective but in 1952, Jim Elliott and Peter Fleming, they're two missionaries, they board a boat to Quito, Ecuador. And this is back when you had to take a boat most places. And, you know, you'd get on the boat and, like, hope you make it. So they make it to Ecuador. Uh, they spend time in the city, and they begin to learn Spanish. And as they're learning Spanish, they decide, okay, we know enough Spanish. Now we can move to a native village, and we can begin to learn uh, basically, like, the the tongue of the Quechua Indians. And so they move, they take the place of a retiring missionary, they begin to minister to the, this native tribe, and they see people get saved. And so they're kind of blown away, like I'm, I'm seeing God do things. And so they're like, we've spent, you know, three years ministering to this native tribe. Now we're going to move on to a different tribe. They kind of like tested, you know, themselves, and they would kind of upgrade in levels of danger, so to speak. And so they hear about this tribe called the Alcas. And, you know, I'll probably say half of these, you know, right. But So if you're from Ecuador, I apologize. Uh, but they moved to this tribe, the Alcas, and they had heard about this tribe because this tribe had killed a bunch of the tribe that they were ministering to. And so they said, man, this tribe is in conflict. There's all this killing. They're growing up with killing. In fact, there's so much killing that they're actually like attacking oil companies that are drilling in the area and killing them. And if we don't stop the killing, it's likely that the oil company is going to come in and that they're going to remove forcibly <laughs> the tribe. So what we need to do is how we stop this is by sharing the gospel with them. But in the jungle, people who have never encountered you know, uh, they've never encountered people from the Western world before. They've never encountered, you know, white people before. They've never encountered, you know, anyone who's like outside of their tribe. And the ones they do kind of encounter, they kill. They said, how can we do that? And so they met up with this uh, mission avionics, this, this pilot named Nate Saint. And Nate Saint, I, I, as you, you can read about it on your own because it's genius. And I don't fully understand how this works from a plane. I got the helicopter, but a plane's confusing. But they would drop a line and drop a bucket down, and they had this pattern of how we would fly. I watched the thing, but I still didn't understand. I feel like Warren could explain. Somebody who flies could explain this to me. Um, but they would, like, drop a line down, and they would drop supplies to the Alcas. They begin to um, use a microphone and speak out phrases, because they had to figure out how do we begin to minister to a group of people who would likely kill us, right? How do I begin to share the gospel? And so they begin to build this rapport to say, like, we're friendly. Don't 
murder us. You know, it's kind of fundamental here. And so they build this rapport and they begin to say, all right, we're going to send gifts down. And eventually they start getting gifts back up. That's like a good sign. They get, um, I, I think they said they got like a monkey one time, which is probably the wildest ride that monkey has ever. You know that monkey got on the plane and was pissed. Um, but so they got like a parrot, they got a bunch of stuff. And so they said, all right, good, we're good. So Nate Saint, the pilot, he lands on a sandbar on this beach and builds basically a tree house and all the missionaries get shuttled in and they're coming, they're coming to share, finally share the gospel. And when they come to the beach, they encounter a guy and a gal from the Alka tribe who come out and they begin to share with them in like as many phrases as they know, right? They couldn't like Google translate. They just had to like kind of clunk along in it as they could. And so they begin to, to discuss with them. They actually take one of them up in a plane and fly around and they say, okay, now go and bring more people because we have something to tell you, right? Go bring more people. And so they wait for two more days and finally out of the bush come two women. And so they're not sure who, but uh, two, I think it's... Um, um, Sorry, the names are killing me. Uh, Pete and Jim, there we go, cross this river, and they encounter these two gals. And when they get over there, they realize something's wrong. They turn around, and they see five uh, tribesmen with spears coming out of the jungle. And when they come out of the jungle, they attack these five missionaries, and they spear them all. And I'll save you. You can go you know, read about how that all goes down. But some important things happen. First things that happen is um, Jim Elliott reaches for a gun because they all have guns because um, of animals, and he fires it up in the air. And this becomes more profound later, but he has to make a decision. They had all decided as a team that they would not, even though they could, kill the native tribes people, that they themselves would choose to die rather than kill them. So he dies. The other thing that happens is that basically they wipe, they come through and they kill all of the people who are there. They destroy the plane, you know, they take off and, you know, basically what they would have to do in that time is if they destroyed or they attacked, you know, like an oil company or this, they would have to burn their village and move on. So that's what they do. They burn their village, they move on and they, they just leave them there. So they've, they basically killed all of these missionaries and then they leave. And I know that's kind of like a, uh, that's a hard place to start, I guess, so to speak. But what makes the story so fascinating to me is that two years later, the wives and uh, one of the sisters of the missionary actually are able to move in with the Alka tribe and share the gospel with them. And so they decide, rather than staying where they're at, I feel like the story is really about their wives. Because if somebody, somebody murders me, it's, I'm gonna, and my wife goes and lives with them, like that, that's some strength, that's some forgiveness, right? And so what happens is the wives come and they find them available to the gospel. And in fact, the men of the tribe invite them in to live with them. And so they're literally living with the people who have murdered their husbands, they're living with the people who have killed their brother, right? And eventually, uh, Steve Saint, he's the son of, um, of Nick Saint, grows up, 
And it's kind of a tough dynamic because technically, according to tribal culture, right, he's the one who could, like, avenge his father's death. But what's happened in the meantime of the, all the growing up is that the tribe has come to know Christ. And, in fact, the tribe that, that had killed these men, that had killed these parents, that had killed these husbands, right, they all come to know Christ to the point that they are sending out missionaries and to the point where the missionaries they send out are getting martyred by other tribes. So they become so in love with the gospel. And so Steve St. grows up, he grows up in this, and he finally asks, he finally feels like he has enough credit, you know, built up in this, this tribe to ask and feel like it's okay. Why did you allow us to come in? Because don't you think that's a big gap between I'm going to kill you and, hey, would the rest of your family come live with me? Like we gloss over those things in history, but that's like a big thing to say, you know, the difference between murdering someone and sharing a room with them is dramatic. So where is the divide there? What, what happened in that gap? And here's what, here's what Steve said. I'm just going to read his words uh, from something he wrote. He said, they, the tribal leaders, said that the actual evidence that the missionaries were capable of defending themselves and chose not to was a major factor in the Harani men agreeing to allow Aunt Rachel and Elizabeth Elliot to come live with them. They had to know the answer. Why would the coyote, the, the, white, the white men, let themselves be killed rather than kill, as any normal warrior would have done. This question dogged Gakita, who is the guy who killed Jim Elliot's father and Nate Saint's father, until he heard. So this question dogged Gakita until he heard the full story of why the men wanted to make contact and about another man, Jesus, who freely allowed his own death to benefit all people. And the reason that the tribe, right, this tribe of people who were so violent against, who grew up fearing being speared and attacking and, and death was a part of their life and murder was a part of their life and attacking others was a part of their life and they killed the missionaries that came and, and you would never even imagine that there would be a redemptive element in this story, right? But there's redemption and this tribe comes to know Christ and these people who were murderers come to know Christ and people who have encountered the story of Jim Elliot and his team of come to know Christ because of the sacrifice that they had. Jim Elliot has this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to say it again because you probably can't read it on there. But it says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliot wasn't like writing after his death, right? He's not referring to how he died. How could he? He was dead. He's referring to how he lived, right? He's referring to a life. In your life, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And they made a, cho a choice, right? These five men. They made a, a bunch of choices, right? They made a clear choice as young people with family and relationships. And if you look them up, they're all sharp, good-looking dudes. They, they, you know, they were sharp people. They made a choice to give up all comfort, to go to Ecuador, to minister to people. They gave a choice to go, go out on a limb and, and to begin to interact. They gave a choice to sacrifice personal comfort. They gave a choice to rather than defend themselves with a gun, to, to allow themselves to be killed. So they chose to die, but can I say, above all those choices, above all the things that they chose, they made the biggest choice that any of us will 
ever make in our life. They made the greatest choice that anyone will ever make in your entire life this morning. Hear me say, there is a choice that you will make this morning that is the biggest choice you will make in your entire life. And it comes from Scripture. I believe that Jim Elliott's quote comes from Scripture, so we're going to read that together this morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to John uh, chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 24. We're going to read that together. It goes like this. It says, I tell you the truth. And every time the Bible says, I tell you the truth, you've got to be like, all right, what's up, Bible? I'm paying attention. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. What we have here is a pretty solid agricultural example, right? We're talking about seeds. You know, it's like, yeah, I always lead with solid agricultural examples. But um, how many of you guys here this morning, you have like a deep agricultural background? Does anyone have, like, anyone spent time on like a farm? Anyone? Oh, Dana? Oh, Molly? Oh, Ben? Nice. Right on. So that's like more than I thought. But um, I got to say, I, the closest thing I get to agriculture is gardening, right? And I grew up gardening. I, I enjoy gardening. You know, I, I spent time with plants, if that makes sense. But it's interesting learning the difference between Washington and here, you know, both in the type of plants. I still don't really understand cactus because, like, you cut one and then you just plant it and it grows. So you guys have cactus. So you're just, like, used to them. They're like a nuisance. They're like the, the rats of plants. But like for me, it's just mind-blowing. But regardless of where you're from, seeds are conceptually the same, right? Seeds, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of your understanding. Seeds are essentially conceptually the same. And you don't have to possess some kind of grand um, agricultural understanding to get seeds. I would hope we're all on the same page here. And seeds are kind of this basic... Uh, but foundationally intriguing part of nature. In fact, Jamin the other day was like holding this fruit and then Jamin's like a resident philosopher, which is a student of philosophy I love, but he's like, how cool is it that, you know, like a seed and it grows and it makes this fruit and then we eat it. And it was, so, it sounded so deep when you said it, I loved it. So um, you guys have spent time with Jamin, but conceptually seeds, right? They're fascinating, but they're essentially this, this known element, you know, uh, of nature, so to speak. And, uh, Jesus is saying here in, in verse 24, if you have your Bibles or description on the scene, what he's saying is that a seed must die in order to produce more seeds. And the cool thing about seeds, this is a lot of talking about seeds, but the cool thing about seeds is that the death is actually the beginning of more life. It's a cycle, right? A seed is planted. It grows up in the case of grain or wheat that he's talking about. It grows into a stalk, and then that stalk grows ahead. And from the grain head or the wheat head, you know, what it does is the seeds fall or they're carried or, you know, they land and they go into the earth and they begin to be buried. I mean, just in all of nature, this works this way. Your weeds work this way, is that it goes into the dirt and then it grows up a greater harvest, right? It's just this functionally foundational thing. But what's cool is that what seems like death for the plant or the seed is actually the beginning of more life. And what seems like the end of one thing is actually the beginning of something greater. 
what I think is fascinating when I begin to, when I begin to think about this and when, when I begin to step back and just look at this is that even in the fundamental elements of creation, God has put evidence of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is so clearly here that the chapter is titled, Jesus Predicts His Death. So there's no illusion for you and I, but that Jesus is talking about himself, that even the life cycle of a plant points to Christ. And that Jesus was completely God, completely man. He came from heaven to earth. He had to die, be buried, be resurrected. And in being resurrected, there's a greater harvest, right? Paul says, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, right? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. See, what seemed like the death, right, to the disciples when they first encountered it, what seemed like this moment of death was actually the planting of a greater harvest, right, that would rise up again three days later. What I think is, and I love this about Jesus, is that the enemy comes in and thinks, I got to kill the son of God, Right, I got that. That's that's my end game to kill the Son of God. I, you know, I got to put him in the ground because if I put him in the ground, he can't do anything else. Right? And what I love about Jesus is Jesus says, "You don't even understand the basics of nature. That's how deceived you are. Because if you understood the basics of how seeds work, you would understand that when you put me in the ground, I'm going to raise up an even greater harvest. But it doesn't happen until you kill me. So go ahead and lead me to death because you're just working for me." Because a plant, right, is united with its purpose when it dies and puts seed in the ground and creates a harvest. Because plants that don't produce seeds are kind of short-lived. If you are breeding plants and you're creating a strand of plant and you breed one that has a one cycle, you, that's ineffective, right? It, it's not like a, it's a basic of agriculture, but it's a basic truth for our own life. That if a plant's purpose is only for a single life, one thing, one life that lives and dies and it never produces more, then it doesn't have anything to show for it. It's going to die regardless. We all know that about plants. No plant lives forever. It's going to die eventually. But if it doesn't put seeds into the ground and multiply, it doesn't serve any good as a plant. It's not reaching its purpose as a plant. It better be a really beautiful plant because it's a one-hit wonder and then it's gone, Right? And if you were planting a field, I feel like if I was planting a field, I want to feed my family. I wouldn't choose the wheat that rises up and then dies and never puts more wheat in the ground, right? We would choose the wheat that rises up and, and dies and puts more seed in and brings a harvest in groves. Like, we, we all get that, right? We all get that, right? We all get that, right? Yes, there we go. Good. Come on. Good. <laughs> it's warm in here, so I got to make sure you know we're still awake. But we get that about seeds. And how is it, that other than the four people who understood agriculture, how is it that me, I have no agricultural experience or understanding, and yet I understand the fundamental basic truth of plant life, and yet I can miss on a daily basis the fundamental truth of my own life. And that if I would never choose to build a harvest, to, to, to build a field of plants that never reproduced, why would I ever in my own life wish to be one? Just a one cycle, one life, one and done, one hit wonder plant, right? Wouldn't I want to be if I understood the basic fundamentals of not just nature, but the nature of my life, wouldn't I want to be something that dies and becomes a greater harvest, 
Because I think sometimes we understand what I'm trying to say about plants because, you know, we can apply things to plants and that works for us. But there's a disconnect between plants and us. And so Jesus flips it, right? This is why he says again in verse 25. And I'm going to read this to you again this morning. It says, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's pretty interesting. I kind of picture as Jesus is sharing this, you know, Peter thinking like, are we farmers now? Or like everybody has that person in your crew that's hyper literal, that if you say like, hey, this would be interesting, they just, they're so flipping literal. That's Peter. That's, that's a lot of people. We won't indict anybody. But I'm, I'm sure some are thinking like, I don't understand what's happening about seeds. And, you know, no one's thinking like, we're part of a great movement. We should let our leader die. You know, it's not like intrinsically, we're so hard on them, but it's, you know, no one builds a movement. They're like, we should kill the guy leading it. You know, this is like, they're, they're wrestling with us. So Jesus comes in verse 25. And he shares this. And what Jesus is saying here is that there's two kinds of life that bring clarity to the scripture. There's earthly and there's eternal. It's the same simple principle as the seed. It's just pointed right to us. And so Jesus says in the first part, he says, if you love this life, you will lose it. But what's he, what is he saying here? Because I've seen this twisted, you know, a lot of weird ways to get people to, you know, do stuff. And I don't know. But what's he really saying here? First, he's addressing what does it mean to really love life? Can I say, like, I, I love my life. I, mean, I, have, I have some bad days, and I get it. But at the end of the day, I, I like being alive. I'm glad that I am it. I'm glad that I'm alive. So Jesus isn't saying, like, hate the fact that you're alive. He's just saying the idea of loving this earthly life is there's a challenge there. Because when we love something, we sacrifice for it. We give our adoration to it. We give our devotion to it. We give our time and our passion to it, right? And so the contextually kind of expanded version of this verse, Jesus is saying, if we choose to love, if we choose this earthly life, and we give this earthly life all of our devotion, all of our passion, all of our sacrifice, all of our effort, then we are also making a simultaneous choice to sacrifice our eternal life. You can make a choice, but you cannot choose the consequences. This is why there's such an urgency, right, in our world. It's not full hedonism, but it's, it's pretty close, right? It's like I have to achieve as much pleasure as I can and remove as much pain as I can because pain's bad and I can't, you know, that's not going to help me. I got to get as much pleasure in my life as I can because I only got one shot in this life. Right, I only have one time to get whatever I can, and it's not necessarily always giant wealth acquisition. It's just enough of me because eventually I'm going to die. I'm going to get eaten by worms. I'm just going to be nothing, and that's why, I mean, I was just reading the other news, and one of the Kardashian or, or Jenners, I, I, my heart broke for her because she said, I feel like I, I'm missing something. I feel like I missed out. And I'm thinking, you did. You missed it. Because you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the things in the world. But at the end of your life, you're just going to be a blip, a tiny dot in the history of the world on a tiny, tiny rock floating in a massive, massive universe. And you can fake as much meaning as that as you could possibly want. But it doesn't have any. That's why so many great philosophers that I studied in school hate themselves and their life. Because when you come to that realization, it sucks. <laughs> There's no other way to say that. I tried when I was practicing. There's no other way. That's it. That's the truth, right? It, it's, it's depressing. 
And that's why Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Mark 8, 35. And so the second portion, he flips it, right? And he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Okay. So I hate, should I hate my life, right? We can't look at it in this literal sense. When he's saying hate, he's referring to, I have to consider something, contextually right here, consider something incapable of providing any kind of satisfaction. So in this verse, what he's saying is the man who, the one, the person, the woman, the man who sacrifices his life in this world for the sake of Christ will gain eternal life. The one who doesn't consider the accumulation in our, you know, short decades here on this earth to be the source of my ultimate satisfaction, not any satisfaction, just my ultimate source of satisfaction. The one who does not consider that the ultimate source of their satisfaction will gain eternal life. And what I love about that is when we get that, when we sacrifice the earthly, when we, when we put aside and we choose this other source of satisfaction and purpose in life, we don't just gain eternal life, right? We gain eternal purpose and eternal perspective, See, we like people like Jim Elliott, and if you go read that story or you watch the movie, I'm like, I don't cry a lot, but I'm like weeping watching these YouTube clips, just like hoping that people don't come home. And I'm just like crying in my room. And like, we like these stories because they're passionate and they're powerful. But it's not about how they died, right? It's about how they lived. See, it doesn't matter this morning how many, how much riches or money or stuff or things or power or position or how smart you think you are, how, how enlightened you feel in, in these ways. Those, I'm not like bashing, having, you know, work hard, have money, all those things. Of course not. You know, be enlightened, don't be dumb. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying it, that none of those will compare to the goodness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowing him and living with him. And the great thing is at the same time, it doesn't matter how much of a mess you feel like, right? It doesn't matter how much you came in with on your shoulders and how much of a load you've been carrying and how much you like are are worried almost about coming around because people are going to start seeing the mess in your life. It doesn't matter how much because God still has an eternal purpose for you if you could get a hold of the eternal perspective that comes from choosing eternal life. Because you're more than you're more than just this tiny blip on a rock. God died for more than a tiny blip on a rock in space. He died for you. He died for who you are and how He's called you to be. But this morning, you know, normally I have like a couple points and it's more expository, and you know, we're not breaking down any Greek or anything this morning. I, I have one thing. This is the one idea I want you to get. You know, if you leave here with only one thing, leave here with this. In order to gain the eternal, we must sacrifice the earthly. Let me say it another way. Jesus came to earth. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose again into resurrection life. And he is inviting us all of us to share in that resurrection life. But can I tell you, this is the part that's a little harder. Sometimes they don't tell you, you know, in church these days. If you want to share in the resurrection life, then you got to share in his death. What am I saying? Like, do we all need to move to Ecuador and, you know, and die? No, please, please don't do that. Um, We love you. I want you to stay here. 
But you can go to Turkey, but stay alive. Um, But he's saying this, that we are called to share in the death of our old life in order to walk in the path of our new life. Our old life being the life of us, the life of I don't need a savior, the life of sin. That God is calling us to a resurrection life, but in order to walk fully in the resurrection life, the eternal life, the life of purpose, the life of perspective, we have to give up everything of the old life. I want to read you this morning, Romans 6, 5 through 11. It says this, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free. Someone say free this morning. So I'm here with me. Free, good, from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Come on, get this this morning, church. Death has no longer any power over him when he died. This is Jesus. He died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And here's it for us, right? So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. See, it doesn't matter this morning, can I tell you, how messy your old life was. It doesn't matter uh, how much, you know, like I said, sin you came in carrying on your shoulders. Christ died to break that in your life. Every sin, every shame, every self-hatred, everything that festers in our heart, God came to break those chains in our lives. And that's why he says, right, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There's something powerful about that. I think we like that, that, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. But I want to I say this morning, if you want the freedom of living a new life, you got to get rid of the chains of the old life, right? If you want the freedom of living in a new life, you got to get cha- rid of the chains in the old life. And can I say, I see it all the time. I see it in my own life. I can just be transparent to myself, right? Uh, you know, preachers just like everybody else. That I, that I see God and we encounter God and we encounter his goodness and his truth and we say, God, I've had enough. I've had enough of trying to do this myself. I've had enough of trying to, trying to go along under my own power. I feel like a failure or I feel frustrated or, or I feel like I got all this junk inside my heart and I want to give it to you. I want to surrender it to you. So God, would you take it? And we come to the altar and we fall down before God and we say, God, would you, I've had enough. I've had enough of all this stuff in my life. Would you transform me? And of course, at the altar, Jesus meets us and he says, of course, I will. But our follow-up moment for that is that we still try, for some reason, Jesus has come and he's broken every chain over our life and they're laying here in this pile and we take it back to our seat with us. We take it back to our home with us. We take it back to our car like some kind of souvenir that we still think we have to hold on to. And Jesus is saying, if you want to live in the freedom of your new life, if you want to live in the freedom of Jesus, the freedom of hope, the freedom of not being in bondage and addiction and oppression and depression, then you got to just leave all that crap right here at the altar and stop dragging it back to you. If you want to live in the freedom this morning of a life with Jesus and your new life, then you have to leave every part of your old life. 
And, you know, I, I know sometimes in church we like to talk on two ends of the spectrum, right? We, like, we kind of have like our hedonism over here that we chastise, and then we have our stoicism over here that we're not too sure about. But honestly, like most of us, we exist somewhere in the middle, right? We're not like fully stoic. We're not like fully hedonist. We're not like laying on a bed with grapes and wine. That actually doesn't sound too bad, but, um, <laughs> but, like, but we're not fully over here in like Amish territory. We're, like some, we're somewhere in the middle, and we're faced with a daily decision, We're faced with a daily choice. Do I pick the earthly or do I pick the eternal? And what plagues us, church, what plagues us, it doesn't matter if this is your first hour in church or your 10th decade in church, what plagues us consistently as people, that's 100 years, I don't know how how much time works. I know how time works, Gianna. (laughs) What plagues us all the time, right, is, uh, is this is that we invite Jesus into our life, but we don't give him everything. And that we want the eternal, but we want the eternal parts we like, and we want the earthly parts we like, and we think that we can choose both. And this morning, I'm going to tell you, you can't. You can be mad at that, but I love you enough to tell you. I I moved all the way from Seattle here because I believe in telling people that. That you can't, you can't choose both the earthly and the eternal. You have to make a choice. The choice is daily, right? And it reminds me of this story about a man who encounters Jesus. And when he encounters Jesus, he discovers, hey, I kind of like this guy. And so he invites Jesus in to come live with him. Jesus comes in and he says, hey, Jesus, you know, I, I don't know if you knew this, but my house is a mess. You know, the, the devil was here and he trashed the place. And it's just a mess. But, you know, I got this room for you. Because, you know, I don't, you don't got to sleep in all this stuff. I got this room for you. Why don't you take up, why don't you live in this room? It's perfect. It's immaculate. It's got like a bubble bathtub. It's amazing. And so at night, Jesus, you know, Jesus is cool. He goes and he takes it. And at night, the devil comes to the door and he says, hey, man, let me in. I got stuff to do. And the man says, nah, you, you, don't, you don't live here anymore. You don't live in this place. This is not your home. Then he says, well, it sure looks like my home. And so they wrestle all through the night. They fight and they battle at the door. The next morning, Jesus comes down and the man says, Jesus, why, why didn't you come out? Why aren't you coming out? Why aren't you, you know, protecting me here? And Jesus is like, hey, man, this isn't my house, but I do love the room. You know, maybe if you give me more of the house. And the guy says, all right, you can have this room and this room, but you can't have this closet because it's locked because I got some stuff in there because I didn't know if you know Jesus, but that's kind of a mess. That's where I keep my messy stuff, and I'm kind of a mess, and I don't want you to live somewhere that's kind of a mess. I'm doing this for you, Jesus. So he says, you can have this. And at night, the enemy comes and he knocks on the door and the man comes out and the enemy says, I'm coming in. This is my house. I'm going to live here. And the man battles with the enemy. He's calling out to Jesus. He's calling out to God. And he says, what are you doing? Why don't you come help me? Next morning, Jesus comes down and he says, this is still your house. And so finally, in a true moment of clarity and desperation, the man takes the keys to the house. He unlocks every door. He pulls out every mess. He realizes it doesn't bother Jesus how messy this house is. Jesus knew this place was a wreck. That's why he moved in here to flip this place, to make it clean, to make it good. And he takes everything out. He unlocks every door. He takes the keys and he puts them into Jesus' hand. And he signs, you know, the deed over to Jesus. And Jesus is now the owner of this house. And he takes true 
true residence within it. So at night, when the enemy comes and he brings the same garbage that he's always brought to the house, Jesus comes down and he says, you don't belong here. You don't live here. You don't have residence here in this place anymore. The enemy says, but look at all the messes. And Jesus says, I don't care how messy this place is. This is my home. I live here. I take residence here. And can I tell you, some of us, we, we, we sit on the line. And this morning, you're on, you're on a tipping point, right? We sit on the line and we say, Jesus, I want the good things. I like the word hope. I like that. I want that. But we don't want to unlock all the doors, let alone give him the keys. And Jesus is saying this morning, if you want to multiply, if you want the eternal purpose and perspective that I have built you to have, then you have to unlock every door. You have to give me every key because you can't just choose part of the eternal and part of the earthly. If you want to walk in the freedom of your new life, you have to let go of every chain from your old life. Are we awake this morning, church? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I think I think I've seen a lot of great brothers and sisters of mine who never made that choice, and the choice was made for them. And I think in our life, you don't know how much time you got when you go out the store. You don't know how many hours you have. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You know, you feel like you're in control. I visit a lot of people in a lot of hospitals, and I'll tell you what, you spend a couple days there, you feel exactly how in control of your life you are. But what you can do is you can make a choice today. What you can do is you can make a choice today, tomorrow, every day. You can make a choice. Now, you can't, if you make a choice, whatever way, that's your call. You can't change the consequences. We live in a generation that loves to choose the choice and the consequences, but that's not working out so great for us. But can I say this morning that there's a tipping point in our life where we have to make a choice that says, will I let go of the parts of my old life to keep dragging me back? Will I let go of these things? Will I lay them down? Will I choose the eternal perspective? Will I choose eternal life? Or will I just keep going back to these things? Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if your browser history is behind a locked door. Jesus knows what it is. You might as well open it and just receive some freedom this morning, right? Like, you're not surprising Jesus with your addiction. You can open that. You're not surprising Jesus with your pride. He's not going to open the closet and be like, wow, this place is a mess. I'm out of here, right? You're not surprising them, but there's a choice that has to be made, and it can't be a half choice this morning. It's a, it's a clear choice. It's not an easy choice. It's a clear choice this morning. I want to invite you to stand. Would you just stand with me? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? I, I believe in this church. I believe in every person in this church. What I believe the most is that sacrifice releases the potential of your purpose. 
And every person in here, you have a purpose. You might feel like you blew it. You didn't. You have a purpose. You might feel like you're, you're, you're older now and you've kind of done your thing. No, God, God's got a purpose for you. You might feel like you're young, you're not sure. No, God's got a purpose for you this morning. But you got to decide because it's sacrifice that releases the potential of your purpose. It's sacrifice that changes it. It's choosing to say this morning, I will no longer allow the things that have consistently drugged me to my old life, the things that have chained me down, the things that have held me back. I'm not going to allow that. Can I say it doesn't come from your power or from your will or from your might or from how good your day is and how inspired you wake up. You're not going to like speak it into being. You know, I, that's great to be motivated, but can I tell you, this comes this morning. The freedom that you want comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from Jesus, but it only comes when you sacrifice. We like the idea of the seed for the harvest, but can I tell you that God wants to multiply through you? He wants to use you for a purpose, but God is not going to manifest or not multiply through you until he is manifest in you, until he is evident within you. God wants to multiply through you, but until he is manifest, until he's taken dwelling into your heart, it's not going to happen. I can tell you, from experience that you can come to church for the next 20 years and stand in this moment and stand in this place and feel the same thing and just keep going through the motions and wonder, God, why am I so depressed? Why am I so frustrated? Why does everything suck for me all the time? Why do I feel so angry? And you can come to this moment all the time for the whole rest of your life, but nothing's going to change until you make a decision to say, I will sacrifice the earthly for the eternal. I will sacrifice the chains of addiction for the freedom of Jesus. I will sacrifice the spirit of bitterness and hurt and anger and offense and, and, and just frustration. I will sacrifice that for the sake of true living with Jesus. There comes a moment, but you have to decide this morning. I don't know what happens when you walk through that door. I don't know what happens when you leave this place. All I know is what happens right now with wherever you are with Jesus. And you're at a tipping point right now. Come on, feel the Holy Spirit of this place. You're at a tipping point right now in your life. And you're trying to decide, am I really going to do it? Am I really going to sacrifice? Am I really going to give this up? And I get it. That's a battle. It's not an easy choice but it is a choice. And this morning, I believe God's speaking to you right now when he's saying, will you sacrifice it? Maybe for some of us, it's just our priorities this morning. Our priorities are earthly and not eternal. We feel like we're faithful, we're good people, but our priorities are for ourselves, for acquisition, not for multiplication. And God this morning is beginning to say, will you sacrifice it? Just at this moment, allow him to speak into your heart. Begin to ask him, say, God, is there anything? Are there any chains? Are there any things? Are there any pieces that are still holding me back? Are there any things that are still tying me down? Are there any things that are still holding me from receiving the full blessing of eternal life? Are there any things, God?
And what God's saying this morning, right now, he's asking all of you, will you sacrifice it? Will you lay it down? This morning, here's saying, there's something in my life, something in my heart that's pulling me back, that keeps trying to pull me back into my old life. I want to walk in a new life. I want to walk in joy, not depression. I want to walk in passion, not bitterness. But there's something that keeps pulling me back. There's something that keeps dragging me back. And I'm going to say this morning, I'm going to pray and believe that God's going to break that. If you're believing this morning, would you just raise your hand? Every eye closed, every head bowed. You're saying, there's something in my life, and I'm going to believe that God's going to break that this morning. I believe that God, as you pray and as you humble yourself, Holy Spirit's going to say, that's left here. Don't pick it back up. Leave your hand raised. Leave it raised up. This is a moment of surrender. If you believe that, leave it raised up. And I'm going to pray this morning. And as we pray, this is not the power of the words I'm saying. It's the power of our God who's saying this morning, you don't got to carry that anymore because I've taken that away. Don't come back. Don't come back and pick it back up. You can leave that. Let's pray this morning. God, you see every heart here. You see every hand here. And God, I believe that you're speaking into every person here to say you're special. I've created you on purpose for a purpose. You cannot compromise that purpose with your action. And God, I believe that you want to release the potential of that purpose. And so God, as a church with our hands raised, we say, God, whatever is in our heart, we sacrifice to you. We give to you. We lay it on the altar. We bring it before you. We say, God, we don't want any more chains dragging us back. God, we we open every door. We open every room. We open every crawl space, every attic of our heart. And we say, God, would you see every mess, every every piece of it, every pride, every selfishness, every bitterness. God, we open every door to you. And with our arms raised, we say, God, would you take it? Would you release us, God? Would you release us from the bondage of our old life that we might run in our full, free, new life, God? We say everything that would drag us back, every chain that we keep dragging off in in the name of Jesus, I just pray this over you right now, will be broken in the name of Jesus. Come on, just receive that. In the name of Jesus, every chain in your life, whether it be a word that's been spoken to you or things that have been done to you or actions that you've taken or things that you've seen, everything is broken in the name of Jesus. And just whoever you are, if you've raised your hands with every eye closed, I just want you in your heart to say, God, I surrender and whatever it is to you. God, I surrender my bitterness to you. God, I surrender my anger to you. God, I lay it down and I sacrifice the earthly because I want to receive the eternal. I want to receive what you have in my life. God, I lay it down at your feet, Jesus, this morning. I lay it down to you, God. Yes, God, we worship you. Kind of just staying in this moment with our eyes closed and our head bowed unless you need to read the lyrics. I'm just going to invite us. We're going to receive communion this morning in a moment. But before we do, I just feel like, man, with communion, we recognize the sacrifice of Jesus. But can I say, before we do that, if you got anything in your heart that you still say, I got to get out, can we just worship the Lord? Just take a moment. You and Jesus. You're not here for me. Like you're, you're here for Jesus. <laughs> take a moment with Jesus and just say, God, I, I surrender to you. Can we sing that together, band?